Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist for the Lake Scenario Leader and Kentucky.com. It is Monday, January 11th, 2021. On today's podcast, we've got a doubleheader on today's podcast. First, I talked with Mark Story, my fellow columnist at the Arrow Leader Sports Columnist. We talked about UK's win over Florida. Uh, in basketball, we talked about uh, the g- game coming up Tuesday night against Alabama. We also talked about the UK women who went through a tough four-game stretch. They ended up two and two on that stretch against four ranked teams, uh, losing to South Carolina on Sunday. We also talked about UK football and the newest addition to the staff and running backs coach uh, Jamal Singleton. We also talked some about uh, Mark Scollum about the troubles going on right now down at Tennessee problems with their football program then i also talked with ben roberts the uk basketball recruiting writer for the herald leader and kentucky.com about uk's newest addition they have a transfer from west virginia who committed over the weekend oscar shibwe uh ben brings us up to date about what kind of player he is uh and how he might fit into kentucky uh in the future so uh, we have both mark story and ben roberts on today's podcast so let's not waste any more time let's get right to it first with mark story and in with Ben Roberts of the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. Okay, my guest on the podcast is my friend, colleague, fellow Herald Leader and Kentucky.com sports columnist Mark Story. How's it going, Mark? It's going good, John. Uh, we're recording this a little later than we normally do. We're recording this on Monday morning because we wanted to talk about both the Kentucky men's game and women's basketball game that happened on Sunday. And we'll talk a little bit, a little bit about leading into the Alabama game on Tuesday night as well. Uh, Mark, let's talk about the men's game first. Uh, Kentucky, big win down in Florida, 76-58. Your impressions of uh, UK's performance down in Gainesville? Well, my impression was it was pretty pretty. Pretty impressive. I mean, <laughs> what Keon Brooks did, you know, maybe, you know, preseason in practice and playing in, you know, apparently that doesn't matter at all because he looked really good. <laughs> he did. And I, I think, you know, I think his basketball IQ is really high. And I also think he's a good and willing passer. And I thought him having, having him on the court, you know, along with kind of the Dante Allen factor and, you know, Dante, because he can make shots, spreads the defense. And then Keon is, kind of the perfect guy to take advantage of that because he can slash himself, but he, you know, he, he can, he moves the ball and you know, that I thought it, you know, I don't know that Florida's that good, but to go to Gainesville and just, you know, dominate, I thought was impressive. Yeah. And, and talking about moving the ball, I mean, they had 18 assists and this is a team that uh, earlier in the year, they went through a second half where they didn't have a, have a single assist in a game. Uh, they were stuck on single digits in a lot of games. That, yeah, they just moved the ball better. Uh, you think that's primarily Brooks, or were, are we were we heading towards that with this team? And Brooks just kind of added to it. I think probably the latter. I think the guy that's been a really good story this year and kind of impressive what he's done is Devin Askew. Yeah, as, as bad as he looked early and just completely overmatched, he's played really well, and it's kind of admirable. You know, a kid who could still be in high school who reclassified to be here, you know, was able to sort of absorb kind of an early season blow, you know, lost his hold on the point guard job and just sort of went to work and has, has, has won it back and has played well. I mean, you know, for how much he was turning it over early, his assist to turnover ratio the last five games is really good. 
Yeah, he's gotten better. And and like you say, especially for a kid who reclassified, should be a senior in high school, you know, kind of took a took a punch there at the beginning, sort of got demoted. I mean, Cal started talking about he wanted to play Terrence Clark at point guard. I mean, he it, it he's bounced back from that. The, the players say he just put his head down and went back to work. Uh, shows some maturity for a kid of that, you know, that age. Yeah, it does. And it just, you know, shows a lot of, you know, for lack of a better word, a lot of fight. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, I'm not I'm not going to get knocked. Well, I did get knocked down, but I'm getting back up. And, you know, he's to me, he's a big part of why the team has, has started to look better. Yeah, no, absolutely. The other thing that stuck out to me is a, the, very balanced. I mean, I think they had eight players score, eight or nine players score. Nobody scored more than 13 points. Uh, it was a very balanced uh, effort from them. Yeah, the, you know the thing that's interesting with um, you know Keon Brooks coming back and p- presumably at some point Terrence Clark comes back and will want to be and presumably be part of the mix is right. they they've gone from not looking like they didn't have enough players to you know they're going to have a lot of players and it's going to be interesting to see you know how he's going to allocate the playing time because I felt a little bit sorry for Jacob Toppin right. with Keon Brack because I think he's played really well. Right. at least it far exceeded what my expectations were for him and just wonder where his clock's going to come from. Right. What about BJ Boston? He's been the uh, topic of conversation <laughs> here lately. How'd you think he played? I thought he played well. Yeah. You know, he's, he stuffed his stat line. I felt like, you know, I think he was three of eight on field goals, which obviously isn't great, but you know, it, it's pushing toward 50%. And I thought he, his shot selection was better. I thought his, I, I thought he played like maybe the game had slowed down a little bit for him. And, you know, I thought, I thought he played sort of the way you want him to play and, and played in a way that, you know, he can, he can build off of. And if he continues to play like that, you know, I think, I think his season will, will get better. Right. Um, now they play Alabama on Tuesday night. Alabama is uh, like Kentucky; they're undefeated in the SEC. They're four and zero. They had a they had a good week last week. They won at Tennessee. Uh, I think Tennessee was number seven at the time. Beat the Vols in Knoxville, and then they beat Auburn at Auburn on Saturday. This isn't a vintage Auburn team, but obviously that's a big rivalry between Alabama and Auburn. Beat them ninety four to ninety. What do you think this game is going to tell us about this Kentucky team? Well, I think it's uh, I think I think it's a game that. If Kentucky wins, I think it goes a long way towards sort of resetting the national narrative. And it's going to, if it's not already that, hey, Kentucky's back, I think if you win this game, you know, you're in a pretty good spot in the SEC. And, and I think it, it, I think it's, you know, sort of sends a message that Kentucky, as bad as it looked early, is, is really getting better. You know, Alabama has played really well in the conference, and they do have three losses. They, right. they lost, I think, to Stanford, to Clemson. And then they lost to Western Kentucky in Tuscaloosa, right. but you know in the conference, as you you mentioned, their week last week was really good. And you know Nate Oates, you know they play up tempo, and you know, I think it's I think it'll be a, an interesting game. And I think if Kentucky wins it, there it's a big step, you know, toward or another big step toward turning the, the season around. Yeah, because you mentioned, as you mentioned, you know, we don't know how good Florida is. I mean, obviously they lost Keontae Johnson, so they're not as good as when they had Keontae. They were coming off of a loss where they didn't play very well uh, against against Alabama. Um, so you could say, well, they, you know, they were not. Florida was not playing that well. They've gone through a lot. Alabama's playing well. I mean, they're hitting Alabama when they're playing on a good stretch for Alabama where they're playing well. So uh, I don't think you can say, well, I don't know how good Alabama is when they play Kentucky. So 
uh, from that standpoint, I think it's a, it's a good test. I think, as you mentioned, they play up-tempo, so they play kind of a different style. be interesting to see how this particular Kentucky team matches up matches up against that they seemed at florida pressed them which i you know i assume florida's thing was kentucky's been turning the ball a lot of turn the ball over a lot we'll press them we'll get some easy baskets but they seem to handle the press well yeah they, they've taken a big step to me the, we're in a four game stretch of the kentucky schedule that's going to go a long way in sort of determining whether they can dig out of the hole and, and become even if they don't win the SEC tournament, become an NCAA tournament contender. They've gone to Florida and won the first of those games, then Alabama, and then the the next two road games at Auburn and Georgia. To me, if you can win all four, then you're, you're, I think you're, you've made a pretty strong statement about, you know, that the season is taking on a different tone. Right. You'd be, you would be a six and O, I guess in the SEC, you know, then as well. So yeah, obviously, uh, yeah, obviously that would be big. Anything else about uh, Kentucky basketball? About the I, just, I, I do think with Brooks back, it, 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 and if they continue to play well, it, it, it sort of allows them to flip the narrative. You know that the NCAA tournament committee can then say, "Hey, yeah. you know, when 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 they, this team had Keon Brooks, it was you know an elite team, and, and it gives kind of it gives you kind of a." Uh, uh, an excuse to, for lack of a better word for, for how bad you looked early and people can sort of look at this, you know, Hey, when this guy was on the floor, this was a good team. You know, when he wasn't on the floor, it wasn't as good a team. And even if that's an oversimplification, I think it, it would help. Uh, it would help the national perception of Kentucky if they, they go on a big run now that Keon's bad. Right. Uh, we we who we haven't talked about is Dante Dante Allen who had a, another good game against uh, Vanderbilt uh, since we last uh, talked to you on the podcast. Then he had a couple of shots at Florida. Uh, those were his only points of the game, but he still played. I think twenty two minutes. So he must have been playing. He must have been doing the things Calipari wants him to do to leave him on the floor, even when he wasn't, you know, uh, taking a lot of shots. Well, I thought there was so much defensive attention on him that yeah. you know Scotty Lewis was basically you know glued to him, which helps open the floor. I mean, obviously having Dante out there making shots is a big boon to Kentucky because shot making has been a problem. But even, you know, if you take him away, that's going to open stuff up for other people. And that's where I think having Keon Brooks back helps because I think he can take advantage of some of the opportunities that are available because of the defensive emphasis that has to be placed on on Dante Allen behind the three-point line. Right. No, yeah, good point. Uh, and so Kentucky and Alabama, I believe that's a nine o'clock game, I believe, uh, on uh, Tuesday. Uh, I'll double check that, but I'm pretty sure that that's, is, that's, right. that's right. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, and then, uh, so that look for that, that a good matchup. It'll be a good early season SEC uh, matchup. We're already starting to see some games around the SEC being postponed and so forth. Uh, what do you make? What do you make of that? I just think that's the the world we're in. And, <laughs> I mean, teams, media, coaches, fans, everybody involved, you just have to be flexible. Yeah. No. Okay, let's talk about the U.K. women. Uh, they had a big game Sunday against uh, South Carolina, led at halftime, but South Carolina came back to win. I didn't get to see much of the game. Uh, Mark, did you get to watch it, and what did you think of it? I watched most of it. Uh, you know, I thought Kentucky was in position to win that game, and it got away from them. South Carolina got a big run on them. They were Kentucky was up eight in the third quarter, and 
uh, had the ball and missed a three and South Carolina, you know, it, it created an advantageous uh, number situation for South Carolina and the game completely flipped. They got on a big run, you know, South Carolina, the ascension of that program has really hurt Kentucky because that's a Kentucky's permanent. They have to play them twice every year. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's the team you have to beat if you're aspiring to you know win the, the conference championship. If you aspire to final fours, you know, that at this point, that's the SEC program you're sort of comparing yourself to. And, you know, I thought Kentucky had a very good chance to beat them. And, you know, it, obviously it slipped away from them. Yeah, they played. You talk about the four game stretch for the men. The UK women just went through four game stretch where they played four ranked teams. They ended up splitting two, going two and two. They beat Arkansas and Mississippi State, but then lost down at Texas A and M, and then lost on Sunday. Is that a good thing to split four games? Uh, a bad thing. Obviously, three and one would have been better, but you didn't go one and three. How do you feel after this four game stretch? I think you feel okay, but I don't think you, you know. Having started at two and zero, I think it's a little disappointing not to right. at least gone three and one. You know they've played six ranked teams; they're three and three. I mean that's that's not bad at all. But right. you know again, that you know I think their aspirations for this season is to kind of take to take the next step up. They've sort of been in the ten to fifteen kind of you know nationally right. you know and if. They want to move up, and you know the the two teams they played this week are you know those are the kind of teams you have to beat to to take that step. Right, right. No, yeah, and you know, and then being up on South Carolina halftime, but I mean, South Carolina is really good. I mean, Don Staley's done a tremendous job. Uh, you know, they've won a national championship. Were they number one last year? They uh, were. They when were it, when the shutdown when the shutdown happened, so they were the favorites to win another national championship last year. Uh, you know, at Texas A&M, I got to see some of that game. It looked like they just kind of ran out of gas in the second half of that game. Yeah, they um, I I just didn't think they played very well. And, you know, some of that, you know, they, as we've alluded to, they were in a very grueling stretch of four straight ranked teams. You know, the, to me, the thing that was disappointing about that A&M game, I think it was Tamika Catchings who was doing the color commentary. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that, you know, A&M has brought in a lot of transfers just like Kentucky, but A&M is, you know, she kept describing their balance and how balanced they are. And then just Kentucky, it was, you know, her perception was it was just kind of Ryan Howard. And, you know, Ryan is unbelievable, but, you know, I thought the difference this year that, you know, Kentucky was supposed to have better, better people around her. So it was a little disappointing to hear Kentucky being, you know, described still as kind of, you know, oh, so oh, reliant, yeah. right? So reliant on one player. Yeah. Uh, well, they, Kentucky plays. Uh, they they go to the Kentucky women go to Auburn on, uh, yeah, Thursday night for an eight thirty game, and then that's on the SEC network, and then they come back home next Sunday to play Vanderbilt. Uh, a uh, couple little things in football uh, with UK football this week. They hired a new running backs coach, Jamal Singleton, who was with the uh, Bengals as a running backs coach. Kind of to uh, Mark and I were talking about this before we started recording. The interesting kind of side note to there, which I think is an important side note, is he's going to be looks like he's going to be special teams coordinator, and he has a lot of experience doing special teams. Last year, after Dean Hood left uh, to go to become the head coach at Murray State, they Mark Stoops kind of went back to his thing where he divides up the special team's responsibility. He didn't have a person at least named as their special team's coach. Um, to me, I think this is a good move if he does put uh, the new coach in charge of special teams to have somebody in charge. Uh, what do you think? 
I think it's definitely good to have a special team, a, a designated special teams coordinator on on the at the level of a coach. If for PR reasons, if nothing else, I think you know, anytime you don't have that, and then if you have special teams errors, you know it becomes a big issue with the fan base. I also wonder if just if in a year when you don't have a coach specifically in charge of special teams, if subconsciously maybe that sends a message, you know, to the roster that maybe you know the emphasis is not quite as great. I don't know that that's true, but I wonder about that. But I just think from a PR standpoint, it's it's always better to have somebody in charge perceived to be in charge of the special teams. Yeah, I, uh, I think absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The other interesting thing about Singleton is here's another guy on the offensive end who has NFL experience. He comes from the Bengals. Obviously, Liam Cohen, who uh, the Rams won in their wildcard playoff game. So another week where pushback where Liam, uh, before Liam gets to Lexington, which I think is fine with the UK. The farther the Rams go, probably the better as far as recruiting and so forth goes. Um, the offensive line coach, Eric Wolford, he spent some time with the 49ers. NFL, uh, getting a lot of NFL experience on the offensive side, or at least that, that experience where they can bring that to the table that they've had some NFL experience. Yeah, I would think uh, two benefits to that. I would assume, especially the guys coming directly from the NFL, that you know, they're. I would assume they've been exposed to you know the freshest thinking in the right. NFL and can bring some of that to Kentucky. And I think there's a recruiting advantage when you can go out and say, we've got X number of coaches who've worked in the NFL, you know, Brad white, obviously right. on the other side of the football, the defensive coordinator came to Kentucky from the Colts. Right. So, you know, they've got, you know, that on both sides of the ball. And I would assume that's something they try to sell. Right. The other thing with Singleton is he, you know, he coached under Zach Taylor with the Bengals and Taylor was with the Rams with Sean McVay uh, before he came, before he went to the Bengals. So that, Singleton knows that offense now, so that should be a fairly smooth transition when Liam Cohen comes in as well. The other thing I want to talk to you about football was your column about Tennessee, what's going on down in Knoxville. And uh, I noticed that's been a very uh, widely read column. Kentucky fans are always interested in going on with things going on in Knoxville, especially when things are not going so well in Knoxville. Talk about a little, talk a little bit about what's going on down there at, uh, down there on Rocky Top right now. Yeah, my my uh, experience has been that in our market, there's a very large appetite for bad news about Tennessee, <laughs> Duke, or North Carolina. Right. And, and that's a well that can be uh, drawn from pretty consistently. <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, what is going on there? It's a mess down there. They The school is doing a, an internal investigation of alleged uh, recruiting improprieties, I think, based out of the city of Memphis, which... You know that that that's a story we've all we, we've heard we've this heard. before. Yeah. Yes, that's a story we we, we are familiar with. Um, you know, the football scoop has reported that Tennessee is one of the leading schools in the country in terms of the number of players it has in the transfer portal. Uh, they're not allowing Jeremy Pruitt to hire assistant coaches nor to extend the contracts of assistants whose contracts are expiring, one of whom is T. Martin, the national championship winning quarterback at Tennessee and the former Kentucky wide receivers coach. Um, I, cynics, I think, think this investigation may be partially uh, um, designed to give Tennessee leverage to either uh, – make a head coaching change with cause and to get out of the buyout or as leverage to negotiate down Pruitt's buyout. So right. it's a, it's just a, at least from the outside, it just appears to be complete instability. Right. Right. I think they've got, I've read where they've gone, hired lawyers who've 
experience in the matters to do their internal investigation. Our uh, our uh, mutual friend John Adams, a columnist down in Oxford, I noticed he wrote a column. He basically moved on to the next step. He said, okay, Tennessee fans, who do you want Gus Malzahn or do you want Tom Herman? <laughs> so he, he's, he's moved on to the next step in case Pruitt is uh, – Pruitt is can down there, but yes, it does. It does sound like a mess. And you know, just a month or so, a couple of months before signing day, Tennessee had like the number two or number three recruiting class in the nation. Everybody was talking about what a great job they were doing in recruiting, and then it kind of all fell. Seems to me it all kind of fell apart with the Kentucky game. He fires Jimmy Brumbaugh, our friend who was a former D line coach for uh, Mark Stoops at Kentucky fires him right either during the game or right after the game. And it's all kind of been downhill from Tennessee since then. Well, that's another issue they've had, you know, Pruitt, the, the, their coaching staff turnover under him has just been immense. And you start to wonder, you know, that, that become will start is starting to become an issue in and of itself. You know, in a big picture sense, Tennessee desperately needs stability. I mean, yeah. you look at, you know, since what 2008, Fulmer, Kiffin, Dickey, Butch Jones, what five head right. football coaches? I think that's right. You know, at some point, you know, they need to just stick with somebody and give them time to 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 try to rebuild. You know, the, the, they're so impatient, and you know they they're they're in such a hurry to get back to you know where they were in the 90s, which understandably. But, you know, I don't know that you can go from where they are to that quickly. Right. And, you know, they're, you look at their numbers. I mean, they, they, they've been bad. Right. I mean, it, they've, it's a bad stretch, and they need to get, they need to get somebody in there that they're, they believe in and ha- that has a plan and then stick with them long enough to let that plan be executed. I heard uh, Andy Staples, who uh, writes for The Athletic, used to be with Sports Illustrated. I heard him on a podcast. This was a few well, it's been a few months ago. I think it was before the season started. And he was talking about Tennessee. And he said, one of the problems with Tennessee is the fan base wants to go back to the days, you know, Peyton Man- Johnny Majors, Peyton Manning, when they were national contender year after year, when they were able to nationally recruit. But the game has changed. Everybody's on TV. It's harder to nationally, it's harder to nationally recruit. Um, you know, but Tennessee wants to go back right now. And, uh, and the same thing you talked about, they don't have the stability and there's constant turnover and churn and it's not good enough. And he, he basically said he doesn't, he doesn't think Tennessee will ever go back to the way that they, uh, or it's going to be really difficult for him to go back to where they're just a national contender year after year. Cause the game has, because the game has changed so much. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I'm also not sure that's the natural level of that program. Uh-huh. I mean, I think understandably fans, you know, whatever the best stretch in your program's history, you know, you want to believe that's you know where it should be. But I don't know that if you look at the history of that program, I don't know that where they were in the 90s is really the natural level. Right. I mean, they have some of the same problems that, you know, other teams in the East that are not Florida and Georgia have. Right. Florida and Georgia have huge, you know, in-state recruiting bases right. that give them a, a big advantage over the other teams. And that includes Tennessee. I mean, you know. The state of Tennessee, especially, you know, outside Memphis, you know, it's not, you know, it's it's not yeah. Georgia or Florida in terms of producing talent. So, right. as you said, you know, they're relying on having to go other places. And besides the fact that everybody's on TV now, there's more emphasis. A lot, mm-hmm. You know, everybody, you know, has money and is, you know, you know investing. Right. So it's not as easy to go other places and, and, and recruit at the level Tennessee once could. Yeah. 
I wonder, and I wonder, too, how much Clemson has hurt them. Is Clemson getting the players now that Tennessee used to get? Well, so. Clemson's getting high-level players. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, we'll see. But uh, anyway, well, check out, if you haven't uh, checked out Mark's column on Tennessee, be sure and check that out on Kentucky.com. Check out all of his coverage uh, as we lead up to the game on uh, basketball, as we lead up to the game on Tuesday night against Alabama during the rest of the week. As he said, they've got an interesting stretch here. They go on the road after the Alabama game for a couple of games. Uh, so we'll find out even more about this Kentucky team that's uh, that's starting to find itself um, a lot more optimistic uh, about their chances now. And uh, check Mark out on Twitter at Mark C. Story. Anything else you got going on, Mark? Uh, if there are any members of the Kentucky sports media listening and uh, the Kentucky sports figure of the year ballots out and uh... – that's right. be returned. That's right. Yeah, so get your votes in if you're listening, Kentucky media people. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks, as always, for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Okay, thanks to Mark, as always, for being on the podcast. Follow Mark on Twitter at Mark C. Story. We'll be right back with Ben Roberts, who's going to tell us everything we need to know about Oscar Shebway. Okay, my guest now on the podcast is UK basketball recruiting writer Ben Roberts for the Herald Leader and Kentucky.com. How's it going, Ben? Good, John. How are you? I am good. Ben, I wanted to have you on the podcast uh, to talk about uh, UK basketball as a new addition here uh, over the weekend, I guess you could say, in a transfer. I want you to tell us all about the new addition, and I want you to start with telling us how to pronounce his name. <laughs> it's uh, it's Oscar Shibway. Um when he was a recruit, he was a highly talented recruit coming out of high school. And I, a lot of us thought it was shoot boy. And that's, that's actually what West Virginia put in his pronunciation guide when he first got there. But uh, they since changed that to she boy. And uh, that, that's, that's how you say it. So that's how we'll say it when, when he, when he gets here in a few days. Okay. Well, let's uh, uh, he committed, uh, left the West Virginia program, uh, committed to Kentucky. Was it, was it, was it over the weekend? Was it Friday? Yeah, he left uh, the the previous weekend over the over the new year, and then entered the transfer portal early last week, um, and then had Zoom calls, Zoom video calls with uh, Kentucky and three other schools Thursday and Friday night, and then uh, Sunday um, uh, made made it official that he was uh, committing to Kentucky. And as far as I know, he's supposed to be in Lexington here in the next couple of days. And his plan is to go ahead and enroll in classes for the spring semester and, and get started right away uh, with, with the team and with his, uh, with the school here. Okay. Let's, let's go back. Let's flip the page back to when he, uh, as a recruit, he was a pretty highly regarded recruit, correct? Recruit, correct. And, and, yeah, and did yeah. Kentucky recruit him uh, when he, in the first process, when he was a recruitable athlete then? They did. They um. He, well, he turned out to be a McDonald's All-American, and I think uh, 24-7 Sports had him at, at number 23 in their final rankings for the 2019 class. Um, and he – West Virginia was on a very, very, very early in the process, but Kentucky got on there um, later on in the process, and he actually took an official visit here. I think he ended up taking four official visits over the course of his recruitment, and one of them was here, really liked – Kentucky really like Calipari, um, everything going on with the program. Um, and I even publicly said afterward that, that they finished uh, second, that if he hadn't gone to West Virginia, he would have ended up coming here right out of high school. And he, he was part of that 2019 class that, that had uh, so many um, 
big men that that uh, UK ended up missing on um, that, that were highly touted throughout the country and had a bunch come in for official visits and and uh, didn't end up with any of them. James Wiseman, of course, being the biggest name, um, but there were several others. Uh, but but obviously that opened the door for for Nick Richards to have such a great season last year. But but yeah, your question he 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 was a a, a highly touted player and a and a pretty big uh, Kentucky target in that class. Yeah, you say big man, how big is he? Well, he's listed at six nine, um, but he is also listed at two hundred and sixty pounds. And I think most people, when you hear six nine, two hundred sixty pounds, you think of a kind of a big, lumbering guy who, um, you know, takes up a lot of space, but but maybe isn't the best athlete. And that's not what, what Oscar is a tremendous athlete for his size. He's one of those guys who you kind of watch a 260 pounder um, do the things he does uh, and with his quickness and just able to to be all over the floor and, and just some really highlight real athletic dunks. Um, you, you, it kind of defies logic sometimes when you're watching a play. And then he's also got a seven four seven five wingspan. So, yeah, six nine, not maybe the tallest for a traditional center. But he's got the strength, he's got the the build, and he's got that length. So I think you know once you add somebody with with long arms like that, uh, you're, you're you're really talking about the equivalent of a of a six eleven seven footer. Uh, I feel like uh, the, the way those type of players usually play. And so, how, how was he doing at West Virginia before he left? What uh, uh, what kind of impact was he making there? What kind of player was he at West Virginia? Yeah, last year he was unbelievable. He he almost averaged a um, a double double. He averaged about eleven and a half and, and nine rebounds a game. Uh, led them actually in both categories. Um, and then coming into this season, he a lot of the national outlets, uh, ESPN and CBS Sports specifically, ranked him as one of the top fifteen players in all of college basketball. Um, even ahead of guys like Olivier Saar, who uh, you know, obviously was seen as, as the number one transfer in the off season and, and so was supposed to make a big impact to Kentucky and has in, in a few games already made a big impact to Kentucky. So, you know, Oscar was very, very highly touted coming into this season. He didn't, his production wasn't as good over the first nine or 10 games of West Virginia. Um, his, his points, rebounds, minutes were all down. They weren't down drastically. They were, they were all down just a little. And then Bob Huggins also kind of talked about, he thought uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, not being able to have the structure of being in the gym around West Virginia's coaches have that summer and fall, uh, with the team, um, you know, you know, just getting yourself better. He thought that had a big negative impact on on Oscar's game coming into the season, and and uh, you know, and that makes total sense with a guy who is still relatively new to basketball. He came over from Africa when he was about um, when he was about 15 years old. Might have even been older than that. Uh, I think he was 16 actually, and so still kind of new to the game, especially new to the game in the United States. And one of those guys who you just kind of watched him grow over the course of his high school season. And then his freshman year at West Virginia, a guy who just kept getting more skilled, kept getting better. And then you kind of throw a roadblock into that um, over the, the six months or so when he, when he wasn't really allowed to be, you know, with, with his right. team and, and in more structured environment. So has he, did he give a reason why he left West Virginia? 
he didn't really give a reason. Um, uh, you know, Coach Huggins has, has given some reasons here in, in, in the last couple days, and he thought there were kind of some outside – well, he said outside influences – on Oscar kind of, kind of led him elsewhere. Um, you know, there's always different stories and, you know, hurt feelings and stuff when, when, uh, people do leave a program. He has said though, even when he announced he was leaving and wasn't coming back, he said Oscar had had his full support and, and he's always, uh, you know, publicly said he's a great kid and, and, um, and, and he, he, I mean, he, he obviously has, has a great work ethic. And one of the biggest things he was known for in high school was just how hard he played and how hard he fought. And, and just a guy with a tremendous motor who, um, is, is going to go out there and, and give it a hundred percent every time he steps on the, on the floor. So let's, okay, let's take a look now into the future where, how does he, when he is, uh, ready to play or eligible to play, how will he fit in with what we think the roster will look like? Yeah, I think he's a great fit. Um, obviously, Olivier, uh, you know, I assume he's not going to use that final year, that right. extra year of eligibility the NCAA has given out. Uh, so he'll be gone for next season. You know, we kind of think Isaiah Jackson, based on where he's project- projected, at least at the moment, will be gone to the NBA draft after this season. Um, so they have Damian Collins coming in who, uh, you know, a lot of people have told me is they've compared him to Isaiah Jackson with a little better offensive production at this point in his development. So, uh, you know, they're, they're saying he's a little better version of Isaiah Jackson, which, which would be uh, pretty good for a freshman. And then you got Lance Ware coming back. Um, you know, there was even some speculation last night that, oh, they got Oscar, what does that mean for Lance Ware? And I, I just keep getting told that, you know, and, and this goes back to, also, my conversation with Lance before the season, he's a guy who really wants to see things out here. He's not a guy who's going to be looking to transfer over any roadblocks for playing time or anything like that. So I fully expect Lance to be back next season. And then you got Oscar. Um, that, that's three guys who could all give you 20 to 25 minutes a game in that front court. Plus, you're adding Jacob Toppin, uh, who is a, you know, we've seen the flashes already and, and, you know, I think I think we've seen more from him than anybody was expecting. Uh, so he certainly has some upside and some versatility to where he can play multiple positions. You know, you never know about a guy like Keon Brooks could come back. And then they've got Bryce Hawkins, who uh, some people have compared to kind of a Keon Brooks type, who's a, kind of a guy who can play inside or out, uh, doesn't mind being physical, uh, just a really skilled player. So, you know, as far as their front court and kind of bigger wing group goes, they, you know, they're, they're pretty much set right there unless there are any unforeseen departures. Um, and, and, you know, talking about a perspective starting lineup with, with a Damian Collins and a Oscar Shebway, that's or Shebway, that's two McDonald's all Americans. One of which will have been in college basketball for, for two seasons by that point. Yeah. No. Well, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how it works out. It looks like, you know, he's in, it looks like could be in pretty good shape, especially considering, like you say, uh, could have a couple of guys back off, off of this year's team. Uh, one last thing before I let you go, uh, with this year's team, when what you've seen of them here lately, what, what do you, what do you think has been behind the turnaround from going one and six in the non-conference and now three and zero in the SEC? If you had to name one thing, what do you think it is? Uh, one thing would be tough because I think there have been several things. I mean, obviously Dante Allen adding that that threat. Um, even when he's not making shots, they have to account for him. 
and just the floor spacing that has come with that. And I don't think that's all totally him, but obviously part of that is him. And, and they, you know, a couple games there, they probably don't win. Well, certainly one game they don't win without him. A couple games they probably don't win without him. Right. And I, there's a lot of other things. I mean, I, Devin Askew's play, um, as as we talked about earlier in the season and as we expected, has really come a long way, I feel like, in the last few weeks. I think guys are just getting more comfortable. The Florida game, obviously, Keon made such a big impact on that one. Um, and I think what we're seeing is just – I think this could have been the team, especially with Keon back, had everybody been healthy and had college basketball had a normal preseason exhibition season, early season schedule. I think what you saw at Florida on Saturday could have been what this team looked like very, very early in the season, if not to start the season. And that's, you know, still with, with Brandon Boston Jr. Still struggling to score some. And with Terrence Clark, you know, two supposed lottery picks out. So, you know, if you can find a way to, to really integrate those two guys and their skill sets and what we think they are and what they can be um, into what we saw Saturday, uh, <laughs> you know, you've, you've really got something. And that's not to discount. I, you know, I, I do think BJ has been better on the defensive end and more, you know, just more buying into to the entire concept overall. So, you know, I, I think he's also making some improvements. He's just still struggling in some aspects uh, offensively. Well, yeah, definitely. And he's uh, – uh, I think he's trying to do more of what they're asking him to do, and that's what the coaches yeah. have said uh, when we've talked, uh, you know, the coaches here uh, lately. So definitely these last three games have put a whole different light on the season, a whole different spin. So it's going to be interesting to see how – how it plays out. Well, Ben, we appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking about uh, the new edition and it is Shibway, right? Shibway. That's Shibway. Right, yeah. Okay. We'll make sure we, we got time to practice it, but we want to make sure, sure. Uh, we've got it right. Uh, be sure and check out Ben on Twitter on Ben Roberts, HL Ben, what you got anything coming up here? Be sure and read all of his coverage over the weekend about Oscar joining the program. Uh, you got anything else in particular coming up? Yeah, we, we had a big story on Oscar. We're talking more about kind of how he fits and, and everything up right now. And uh, actually tomorrow morning, I think we're going to have a big story on uh, Jaden Bradley, who's the the most recent guy to get a Kentucky scholarship offer. Got it uh, a couple weeks ago. And we, we've already written some on him. and we, We've written a lot about him in the past. But I, I talked to his coach at, at length late last week and talked more with his dad. And just kind of uh, I think people who check out that story are going to are, are probably going to want Jaden Bradley on uh, Kentucky's team uh, here in the next couple of years. He's, okay. He sounds like he's he's a guy that that would really fit in and and um, is going to is just going to succeed wherever he goes in college. Well, great. Look for that. Uh, look for that on Kentucky.com as well. Uh, thanks, Ben. Thanks again for being with us. Yep. Thanks a lot, John. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. Thanks to my guests, Mark Story and Ben Roberts, both of the Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. Be sure and check out all their work. I want to thank everybody who has supported our work at Kentucky.com and the Herald Leader. Remember, you can get a sports pass. That's a sports-only digital subscription to Kentucky.com. All of Ben's coverage of UK recruiting, all of Mark's columns, all of Jerry Tipton on UK basketball, all of Josh Moore on UK football, all of Jared Peck on high schools. You get my columns as well. $30 for the first year, 
Go to Kentucky.com, hit on that subscription button, check out all of the offers for digital subscriptions to Kentucky.com. And also you can get a print subscription to the Herald Leader as well. I want to thank everybody who supports the podcast by giving us a rating and review on the podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Give us a rating and review. That really helps. We appreciate everybody who has done that. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at John Clay IV. You can also email me, jclay at herald-leader.com. have plenty of coverage of the Florida game over the weekend. Wrote a column, uh, which has gotten a lot of feedback about uh, UK players kneeling before the Florida game uh, on Saturday, if you want to check that out as well. Uh, and like I said, we'll have plenty of coverage leading up to Alabama as well as Tuesday night, uh, the uh, our live updates where you can follow uh, what's going on in the game as well and get uh, reaction and analysis to that game, which is, shapes up as a big game in the SEC, big early season game. Alabama's 4-0, Kentucky is 3-0, so check that out as well. So again, thanks again for listening. We'll be talking to you again soon.